0: It's no secret that sometimes life gets ugly. Who knows that? You know, life um, throws some pretty terrible things our way. It hands us some bitter pills to swallow, even just if we just take the last year, if COVID hasn't been that great. Who's experienced something in life that wasn't that pretty? Anyone here? Just give us a wave of your hand. Yeah, most of us, most of us. Um, Now, if you're someone fortunate enough to have not had anything major happen in your life. I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but the longer you live, the more likely something not so great is going to happen in your life. Now, welcome to Kerry, where we share the good news and make you all feel good about yourselves. Hopefully that doesn't make you feel uh, too sad today. Um, But the reality is that the most... Most people will experience something ugly in their life. Um, As Forrest Gump says, stuff happens. But what I want to talk to you about today is, how do we stay pretty even when life is ugly? How do we stay pretty when life gets ugly? Because if you are anything like me, that is human, um, then sometimes when life gets ugly, we get ugly. Um, we can become bitter, we can become angry, we can can become negative, and it does not look pretty anymore. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone want to be honest today? Yeah, just me, okay. Oh, thank you, Nikki. Yes, me and Nikki, we're honest. Um, sometimes that happens. We get we get ugly. Um, but I want to tell you that it is possible that we could remain beautiful even in the midst of of things that we're facing. I believe it is possible, and I have seen some people do it with such grace, and I'm I'm sure uh, you know someone like that too, where life has thrown them more than just a couple of lemons. It's just picked up the whole lemon tree and just thrown the whole thing at them. And they have every reason to lose their stuff, but somehow they have stayed calm and positive and just beautiful, even though life has gotten really ugly. And so the title of my message today is God Has a Plan. And my prayer is that by the end of our time together, you will see and understand that there is incredible life-changing power that is unleashed on your life when you simply, stubbornly hold on to the fact that God has a plan. Now, Even when you look at life, and you see pretty much everything that's not nailed down blowing in the wind, even some things that used to be nailed down is also now blowing in the wind, when you tap into this life-changing kind of faith and and resolve, you will be able to see that even here, God has a plan, and and that will help you to stay beautiful even when life is ugly. So help me encourage someone near you this morning. Would you turn to the person next to you or behind you? Look them in the eyes and tell them, God has a plan. All right. Now turn to your second choice and say, God has a plan for you too. Awesome. And now let's all look up this way. And I want us just to all say that out really loud together. you ready? One, two, three. God has a plan. Beautiful. I hope that now you're feeling a little bit encouraged already. Now, there is nowhere that I can think of in Scripture that we see this more vividly than in the Old Testament book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is the name of the book, it's her name, but Ruth didn't write it. And we don't really know who wrote it. Some people think that Samuel did. He's the prophet who anointed David to be king, but we don't know for sure. Uh, We do know that it was written roughly 1300 to 1000 BC, concurrently to the book of Judges. So the Old Testament book of Judges plays out and in the midst um, of that somewhere, somewhere, we we don't know exactly where, but it's the book of Ruth. And it's kind of like a parallel stream to what's happening in the book of Judges. But it is one of two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. The other one is... Esther. Awesome. Queen Esther. And it's also significant because it is the only book of the Bible that is named after someone who is a Gentile. So in other words, Ruth was not a Jew. And so that's significant. And for all of those reasons, and many, many more, um, it, it is significant. And so it's one of the most cherished beautiful books of the bible and it just touches your heart the same way that when you watch a Disney movie touches your heart um, and so I'm going to invite Esther now not the Esther of the bible Esther obviously um, but Esther's going to come out she's our very own beautiful Esther and she's going to read the first chapter of Ruth for us okay the whole of chapter one
1: thanks thank you good morning church and you know my mom's name is es- uh, Ruth that's nice. We read together from Ruth chapter 1. Naomi loses a husband and sons. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Opa and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and a husband. Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take him back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept loudly and said to to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there would be still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Opa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung on to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Esther. Now, I recommend that you go home and you read chapter 2, 3, and 4, which is the whole entire um, book of Ruth, because we are going to touch on a few things from the other chapters. But even just reading this, when we read this story, we sense... A severe emotional tone to it all don't we it's stark and we're given a whole decade of pain and difficulty before there's even one line of dialogue it's just one burst of pain after another bam this happened bam that happened bam this happened and we can feel it uh, we know to be moved for them we know to care about them But it becomes all the more powerful and potent when you understand something of the culture, something of the history, something of the identity of each of these different individuals. Um, In the first place, the names themselves, all of the names that we've read, they have meanings attached to them. Like Elimelech, um, the patriarch of the family, Naomi's husband. Now his name means God is my king. Now that's ironic um, and interesting because the idea of a king is at the center of the book of Judges and it ends with this idea that there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever, whatever was right in their own eyes. It was a time when the nation had turned away from God, and so therefore they had no king. God was supposed to be the king of his people and be their leader, and they were supposed to follow him. Uh, It was a theocracy, which was different from any other culture, any other kingdom on the face of the earth. They were led by God. But when they turned from God, Now there's no king, there's no rudder, there's no moral compass. So everyone was just, this is the way we're going. You know, this is what's right for me. And when it came to what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down, people were turning to different idols that were worshipped by different people. And so it was a time when there was no king. But here's a guy, Elimelech, whose name literally means God is my king. I'm going to follow God. And what's he doing? Well, we read that he actually leaves Israel. Um, He's turning away from the place where they're meant to be walking under God's blessings. And he's going to Moab which is the last place on earth that you want to go um, to follow God and, and live like he's your king. It was known for sexual immorality. It was like a whole red-light district. Um, it was a really corrupt place. And so here he is going there. Now, why is he going there? Because there's no bread. You know, we're told that there's a famine. Now, the irony is that the text tells us that they lived in Bethlehem, which means house of bread Uh, worst name ever for a place where there's no bread so the guy leaves the house of bread to go find bread and he turns away from the place where where God's king even though his name is God is my king are you with me? there's some weird stuff going here going on. Um, now, Elimelech has two sons. Now, him and his wife, Naomi, they have two boys, Marlon and Killian. Um, now, these boys do live up to their names because Marlon and Killian means sickly and pining, which is unfortunate, and they both die pretty quickly, um, which is a cautionary tale, parents, to watch what you speak over your children. Um, their names were sickly and pining, and they ended up living up to those. Then we have Naomi, a name that means pleasant or beautiful. Um, It's lovely, it's good. Naomi, it's it's a wonderful name. And after her husband dies, her two sons get married and they marry Moabite women. Now, in any Jewish home, when they would have heard that, they would have sucked in through their teeth. Oh, they married Moabite women. That's terrible. Uh, That's really not good. Um, And their names were Orpah and Ruth. Now, Orpah means stubborn and Ruth means friendly or a friend or um, like friendship is the idea here. And for 10 years, Orpah and Ruth are married to these men and things seem to be kind of going all right for a little bit. They're able to work and live in Moab for a whole decade and support Naomi. But then both of her sons die. And now you've got this odd little family if there ever was one. We have two daughters who now technically aren't even related because there's not that relationship to Naomi through their husbands anymore. And, and that's what Naomi sort of insinuates to them on the road when she goes, hey look, you honored my boys to their death. Um, And Naomi says, you don't need to go with me. And she releases them from their sense of commitment to her because life would have been a lot easier and better for them to go back to Moab. Um, Now, it would have been a lot worse and harder for Naomi to live at home without a husband and to live home alone without these kids. And so in that day and in that culture, it was very different. It was a very different reality to what it is now. And so what she was doing was she was actually serving them. The Bible says that true love does not seek its own. And for Naomi, it would have been much easier, a much easier life to have these two girls to lean on still. But she was realizing there was no prospects for them of a good life in Israel. And so in sending them back to Moab, she was setting her needs and her interests behind. And many commentators actually point to that being the catalyst in Ruth's conversion. For Ruth, on the spot, gave her whole life to following the God of the Bible when? In response to Naomi preferring them above herself. It wasn't her actual words of evangelism. Those were terrible. Um, Naomi, literally in verse thirteen, she says, "God's hand has gone out against me." In verse twenty-one, "I went away full, but God's brought me back empty." Don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. So her evangelistic tendencies are really bad. I would not put, I would not give her a microphone ever. Her words were terrible. I'd be like Ruth, don't listen to her. But honestly, the way she is serving Ruth and the way she's serving Orpah, it was that that caused Ruth to be committed. Now, we need to note that Ruth had also had a decade of hearing uh, what Naomi believed. But here in this moment, it shows that when Naomi was willing to love these girls selflessly, even though they didn't believe what she believed, it was then that Ruth said, I want what you've got. I want to follow after the God who can enable you to love me like you're loving me in this moment. But in contrast to Ruth, who here at this moment is beginning a faith journey, Naomi is having a dark chapter in her faith journey. She's struggling to make sense of why a good God would allow her to face what she's facing. She's having a chapter of doubt. It seems she's having a moment, a little bit of a lapse of faith. Now, reading through, you can't help, well, I can't help but find comedy in the scene where the two girls are at first, you know, no, no, we're going to come with you. And Naomi's like, no, how is it going to go good for you here? And Orpah's like, you're right peace out and she just bounces at the first sign of resistance she's like okay there's an open door I tried but see you later Ruth good luck with that and she's off with her clear high heels back to Moab and she's already downloading tinder as she turns Um, I find that pretty amusing Um, but Ruth is different right Ruth is different Ruth's like actually you know I think I'll go with you I want to follow God. And Naomi's almost like, are you sure? He's kind of sucky at the moment. You know, I don't know why you would want to follow him. And and Ruth's like, no, for real. I know that you're having a hard moment right now, but what you've told me about him and how I've seen him change your life, you really do care and I want what you've got. And so here comes, in the midst of just ugliness everywhere, right? You know, famine is how it all started. Um, Famine in the land, so we'll go over here. We'll be okay. And then there's a death. But that's okay. The kids get married, and there's a new beginning, um, and there's new hope. But then they die too. And here at the centre of all atrocity, there is Ruth rising up like this beautiful flower, this gorgeous heart. She is pretty in the face of ugly. And so how do we model our lives after Ruth? Because I don't know about you, but I know I want more of that. You know, I I don't want to face what she's facing. Um, Let's be very clear about that. Um, But when life gets ugly, and it does... I want to respond like that, with poise and grace and faith. And so when I look at this story, I see four things on her journey. The first thing I see is I see perspective. There is a great perspective that Ruth has. It's easy to be like Naomi and turn ourselves into a bitter person. It's easy to just see that there's no way you know we're going to make it through this and and then we make foolish decisions and those things compound but to instead be like Ruth and go hold on a second where you go I will go your God my God where you die that's where I'll be buried great perspective comes from remembering the end And that end is not here yet. And I feel like this is is what Ruth's feeling. You know, she's saying, we're still alive. We could still do something about this. We can still take action. If it's not over, then God's still up to something and God still has a plan. And so I think we can learn from Ruth the power of perspective. Number two, I see in her a great example of loyalty. Now, a loyalty that is just stunning. Yeah, I mean, her name is Friendship, and, and she lives up to that. And she did not change her name from loyalty to disloyalty in a difficult moment. Now, in this story, there is nothing that Naomi can do for her. No blessing Naomi can give her. But Ruth is in it to see what she can bring to Naomi, not get from her. And she was just so loyal to her friend. And then even though she's only been a Christian for like 15 minutes, she's loyal to God. She made a decision and that's it. She's not getting talked out of this thing. And Naomi tried to talk her out of it. And, you know, like I said, with some of the worst evangelism I've ever seen in my life, um, Naomi was like, God's been terrible to me. But Ruth's like, I want to follow him. Naomi says, you probably shouldn't. I'm changing my name to bitter because that's all God does. If you follow him, you'll get bitter too. You know, we wouldn't make Naomi a welcomer, you know what I'm saying? You know, we'd probably go, you know, we're going to put you in the back office to serve. You know, it looks like you've got the gift of administration. Um, I don't know, but we're not putting you on the front lines. Um, But Ruth, she is loyal. And as you read through the rest of Ruth, you will see a couple of other things. Now, there's a bit of a spoiler alert. These two come from reading the following chapters. But the third thing you'll see in Ruth is ambition. There's ambition and there's some drive in her. Now, there is some truth to the statement that fortune favours the bold. And I I really believe there was a boldness to Ruth. There was a gutsy faith to Ruth. And she was willing to take difficult steps to do things, to just keep showing up, so to speak. So, for example, they get back home and Naomi is like, now I'm bitter and everything's horrible and I'm going to go cry somewhere. But what does Ruth say? In Ruth 2.2, she says, "'Hey, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain "'behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor." In other words, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to look for something. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to try, and I'm going to try to get a job, um, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to put myself out there and see what could happen. She wasn't willing to just sit back at home and hope someone brings a blessing to her, that someone shows up and rescues them. She says, I'm praying for this, but you know what I'm going to do? If my prayer is answered, it's going to find me out there trying. It's going to find me taking initiative. And then it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Who was Elimelech? Naomi's husband. Now, this is basically the perfect person in every way to find, uh, to own the field that she would end up in. And it happened because Ruth said, I'm going to go out there and try. I believe that God has a plan, and so I'm going to go and try, and maybe I'll find favor. Can I encourage you today? If you feel like life is ugly for you right now, things aren't going your way maybe the last couple of times you tried a business or you tried to apply for a job or to get into a particular school maybe it didn't work out maybe there are things that are just not in your control I want to say let's not get bitter let's not get jaded let's pray and try again Let's believe that God has a plan, and let's get out there into the field. Let's try again, and let's believe that we'll find favor like Ruth. Now, as a result, Ruth's story became one of nobility. Now, what do I mean? I mean, Boaz and Ruth, they get married, and they have a baby. Now, this is Ruth 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. In verse 17, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of, J- of David. And so now, here's King David who, any anytime he would talk about his great-great-grandma, he was talking about Ruth, okay? But that's not all because David had sons and David's sons had sons and David's sons' sons' sons had sons. And in Matthew chapter 1, we get this beautiful little list in the New Testament. And it's a record of the genealogy of Jesus, who is the son of David for sure, who is also the son of Abraham. But notice when it's telling all the records, verse 5 says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Abed, whose mother was who? Was Ruth. So Jesus Christ himself, while he walked on this earth, thought back lovingly to his great, 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 great -great grandma, Ruth. For all of history, in all of eternity, Ruth will be revered as part of the royal dynasty that God used in his rescue mission to get his son to the world. From famine to funeral, after funeral, after funeral, life was so hard and so ugly, but in the midst of all of it, God was building a family. And in that family, there's room for all of us. And in that family, we can have the confidence to look at the hardest things we face in this world and to believe that God has a plan. He's up to something. If we can just have perspective, stay committed, be loyal, and be a bit ambitious, and not get so discouraged that we give up, who knows where things will end up? God has a plan. He is up to something. He's working. Just give him some space. Just give him time. Don't rush him. Don't be in a hurry. He's really, really good at setting things up in such a way that we feel like there's no way that he can do this. And then he does. Now, one of the most striking things to me in this story is when Naomi gets home she gets back home, and the girls go, hey, Naomi. And she goes, no, no, I'm bitter. Life's bitter. I've come empty-handed. She said, I left full, but I've come home empty. I left full, but I came home with nothing, because I left with Elimelech and Marlon and Killian, but I've come home with nothing. And I love that Ruth doesn't get offended. (laughs) Because if I was Ruth, I'd be like, what? (laughs) You know, you came home with me. But by the end of Naomi's story, they are putting her grandson on her chest and she's holding a grandbaby that she never thought she would have. And look at what her girlfriends say to her. They say, Naomi, now this is chapter four, verse 14, praise be to the Lord who has not left you, your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. Her girlfriends are like, man, it's amazing that God brought you back here, not empty-handed. He didn't forget about you. She left empty, but she came back with Ruth, a woman worth more than seven sons. Now, God used Ruth to bring a baby to her chest that she didn't didn't know at the time would be a part of bringing her saviour to the world. Now, this story is one of countless stories that show us that God has a plan. And it's my prayer that we will be a people who will trust God no matter what and know that God has a plan. God is good. He's up to something in your life. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to to end this message by us confessing what the Apostle Paul confessed about his life. I believe it will give us some freedom and and some uh, energy this morning. It will give us permission. It will give us power, no matter what we're facing today. And so I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. The scripture's going to be up on the screen. It's one that most of you will find familiar, but if you haven't, what I encourage you to do is I want us all to read it out together. And because you don't know what you're about to read, I want you to read it passionately. And if at the end you agree with that, I want you to say amen, okay? So it's Philippians 4, 11, 13. Let's read it all together. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to live humbly and I know how to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God's people said, amen.